Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated, first and foremost, in honor of the week-long birthday tour of Haron Shochet. Azaku Baruch. Congratulations. Many, many happy returns. We should be zochet to see, we should be zochet to see Bezrat Hashem, Banim Banot, Oskim Batorah Mitzvot, children and grandchildren are succeeding in everything that they do in the merit of your great sacrifice to the Bet Knesset. My friends, uh, Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated for the continued health of Rabbi Chana Farche, Chana Batzimafega, and for the Rufuash Shilema of Rabbi Eli Abadi, Eliyahu Shumim Mazal Fortuneh. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. I never, in my life, Sammy, in my life, I never saw a birthday cake with the Yardside candle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my friends are the six parents. <laughs> 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 okay, let's go. Finally, the week of Cobru, sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you. Ashenonorofyou.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.com.
uh, now. My friends, uh, having said all of that, I think it's very important to think, to focus on this idea and realize that you could do a mitzvah and print a sheet like that, and you know what happens? By the next day, no one can find the sheet. Everyone is saying the first two teilim that they know very well, comes maski, right? I'm saying it all by myself. Okay? Now, you have other things, right? Cards, that they're indestructible. If there was an atom bomb, these things, would they would still find them, you know, sprinkled around. The cards for the Kohanim is one example. Those things are bulletproof. I don't know. They somehow, they always manage to find their way back to the bima, right? They're always there. It's unbelievable. Certain things... Certain mitzvot that you do, if you do it with the right zechut, with the right intention, Hashem blesses the action of that mitzvah to be able to be around for a long time. You have a guy who starts a class, it goes for five sessions. You have someone who starts a class, five years later, the class is still going. Right? You have to have a zechut for the mitzvah that you do to really have legs. To be a candle, like we say, ki ner mitzvah v'torah But what kind of ner is your mitzvah going to be. So my friends, I want to share uh, just a simple idea because there's two ways that a mitzvah could last a long time. Let me give you first the example of Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu says to his uh, servant, to Eliezer, his right-hand man, his best friend, he says, Eliezer, dachilak, do me a favor. Promise me, lotikach isha lebini mibenot kenani. Don't take a wife for my son, for Yitzchak, from the Canaanite girls that live in the neighborhood. Don't have her marry someone from here. Rather, I want you to go on a quest. I want you to go on a mission. I want you to go back to my place, the place where I was born, and I want you to find a girl from there to marry my son Yitzchak. And Eliezer swears. The Sefer Ktav Kabbalah asks, why was Avraham so dead set against him marrying someone from the town? What was, what was the point of that? Listen to what he says. Ki he says, Hayu ra'im They were people who in their character traits, in their deeds, they were wicked people. Also with, a, with a, a sense of faith that was really distorted. And that makes an impact on the body of the person and on the soul of the person. And that impact would be passed along to their children. Because they come from them. What they are in their bad midot, in their bad terrible outlooks, is going to get passed on to their children. Like hatred. Nikama. Revenge, achzariyut, cruelty, vechema, anger, chilut, stinginess, vechadome. Abraham said, I don't want that to be present in my daughter-in-law. I don't want that to be part of the Jewish story. My friends, when we talk about a mitzvah having legs and lasting a long time, what are we seeing over here? We're seeing that mitzvot and averot, they can not only last a long time in this world, have a long half-life, yani but rather they could be passed down to the next generation. They could take on a life of their own, move, so to speak, like a virus to a new host and feast on that body 
for the duration of its lifetime, then thereafter being imparted to the next generation. My friends, Rav Shalom Shwadron was fond of talking about a certain, a certain man who uh, lived in his city, and the man's name was Zalman, his name was Zalman Hakasan. Zalman, the angry one. Now, I kind of feel like you, you, don't, you, know, you don't just get that nickname easily, right? It's got to be something serious. It's got to be a big deal. It's not like someone gets angry because uh, you mispronounced uh, a word during the tefillah. It's when someone has a real kaas, when someone has a real anger. Zalman was always angry at everybody. Comes the end of his life, the last minutes, they call the Chevra Kadisha. They call the Holy Burial Society. They come round the bed. They're there with him in his last moments. They're praying. In his last moments, he had some kids, troublemakers, you know, running around. They hear about the fact that the Chevra Kadisha, the ambulance, you know, with the sirens went somewhere. They went to go see. Anyway, they climb up. They're looking in the window in, this, uh, in the room where Zalman, the Kaasan, Zalman, the angry one, is lying there in his last minutes with the Chevra Kadisha around him. Zalman looks up, and what does he see in his window? He sees the faces of these kids. And he raises up his hand and his fist to them. And he starts screaming at them. He's Talkumika, get out of here! And the last words that left Zalman's lips in the final minutes of his life was, He's Talkumika, get out of here. His anger consumed him, devoured him to such a point that it was with him and it haunted him until the, literally the moment that he passed from this world. My friends, midot do not go away by themselves. I want you to imagine a person who has in his house a problem with mice. Could you imagine himself saying, listen, I know I have mice here. I know I have a, you know, a mice infestation. But you know what? I kind of feel like eventually they'll get bored of my house. That's never happening. If you're living there, if it's, warm, if it's warm in your house, if there's food in your house, what happens? Chalas. It's a free buffet. They're not ever leaving these guys, right? The only way to get the mice out of that apartment is going to be to change. Sorry? Yeah. He's giving a cat. Okay, right? They, fantastic. Now you have bloody mice all over. <laughs> Torn apart in your house, but you're okay. But you don't have to pay for kitty food. But say, say that. But my friends, do you understand? By the way, that was that was Israel's response. Israel's response to the mice problem was to bring in cats. Now there's cats everywhere in Israel. You can't walk anywhere without stepping on a cat. Right? They live in the garbage. They live. They're jumping out at you in the middle of the night. So uh, every problem begets another problem. So anyway, how are you getting rid of the mice in your house? Two ways. First of all, the picture of the mice rebbe. Yes, that's a thing. There's a certain rabbi who has the dubious honor of being the mice rabbi, Rabbi Shaila from Kerestir. People get a picture of the mouse rabbi and they put it in the house. Anyway, restaurants also. You ever see this? By the way, if you ever see a picture of this rabbi in a restaurant, run. <laughs> run faster than the mice that they put the sign there for, right? I know a lot of people, they walk in, they see a rabbi, they're like, oh, extra kosher. Not extra kosher. <laughs> right? All right? Anyway, so what's it called? So how are you getting rid of the mice? It's very simple. You have to make sure that the food gets put away. Tupperware, there is no access. You have to make sure that you're plugging up every hole. 
Unless you're changing something, the problem is going to stay. My friends, when it comes to bad midot, you can't outlast a bad midah. Impossible. My friends, you can't marry out of a bad midah. A lot of single people feel like, you know what, I'll just get married. When they get married, you just take that bad midah into the marriage. They think, oh, you know what, I'm young, it's okay, I'll work on myself, I'll refine my character to be like my parents, to be like my mentors, to be like my role models. You know when? When, I, when I'm grown up. When I, you know what? You have that problem when you're single, you'll have that problem when you're married. You have that problem when you're married, you'll have that problem when you're a dad. If you're angry at work, you're going to be angry at your kids. Kaas has no compartmentalization. Anger can't be confined to one place. The mice are not only hanging out in one room, they're going everywhere. So my friends, when a person sees that, you have to understand that the power of a mitzvah, of an avera, the power is to break through every door, get to every part of your life, but also to last in your life for decades. The things that you want in your life, make space for them, develop them, expand them. The things that you don't want in your life, make sure you get rid of them. But my friends, most of all, sometimes... I don't know if you ever, you ever see this before. A guy is willing to endure a lot of discomfort in his home. If it's freezing cold in a guy's house, what does he do? He puts on a sweater. Or he just kind of sits there like this. He's not, he's not bothered enough. Now his wife comes into the room. Now he's turning on the heat. His kids are in the house. Now he's worried about changing it. For him himself, he don't mind sitting there in his couch watching his, uh, fo- his football game with gloves on. He's perfectly fine. His wife walks in, she's like, I can't live like this. He's like, I'll buy you gloves. (laughs) (laughs) My friends, do you understand? Yeah, a lot of times you don't do something for yourself because you don't have Rachmanut on yourself. But you have Rachmanut at least on your wife. You have Rachmanut at least on your kids. My friends, you have a bad character trait. You don't have Rachmanut on yourself. Have Rachmanut on your wife. Have Rachmanut on your kids. They have to live with the person you are in those ugly moments. Where in the last minute of Zalman's life, instead of saying Shema Yisrael with his hand on his eyes, he has his hand in a fist, screaming at the window one last time, losing his temper one last time before he passes away. Is that what you want? Do you want it to chase you to the grave? Do you want it to transfer to your children? Or do you want to choke off that bad midah? You have a big mitzvah. You want it to die with you, or you want it to spread its light everywhere. You need to put effort into doing that. And I'll tell you something. In terms of the mitzvah itself, the flame of the mitzvah burns long after, long after the mitzvah was done. And if you think that, you know what, I used to do this when I was younger. How many, just show a raise of hands, no one can see you, it's not on camera. How many of you had a beautiful practice, something good that you used to do when you were younger, and as time went on, you fell out of it, or you don't have the time to do it anymore? Raise your hand. Anyone? A good character trait, a nice mitzvah. It's even exercising, right? You have people who have good things that they do in their life. And then as time goes on, they just, you know, I don't know. I used to do that. I used to run. I used to, be, I used to eat healthy. I used to watch, I used to do all these things. Now, I don't know, I don't know. The flame of a good deed, the same way it could get passed to your children, it also lives inside of you, dormant, ready to be woken up again. 
And I want to share with you an example, a crazy example of this and what this will end today. There was a woman, she's walking in Bnei Barak. As she's walking in Bnei Barak, in front of the Beit Knesset, the big synagogue in Bnei Barak, a car speeds up but doesn't see her, unfortunately hits this old woman and she dies on the road right in front of the Knesset. Anyway, you know, police come, they're trying to figure it out. Who is it? Hatzala. Old lady, they get at her, uh, they find uh, on her person she has uh, a, a card, uh, what's it called, an ID. They look it up, they call the place, they're trying to figure out who she is, you know, the, to ID the body. Meanwhile, a few people from the shul, they see this woman outside passed away. No one knows who she is. Hazi case. They can't figure it out. Everyone gathers around. They start saying Tehillim around the body. There's maybe 10, 20 people saying Tehillim uh, by this woman's body who's just passed away at the scene of the accident. Anyway, very quickly they find out. They manage to make a couple phone calls. Right? It's in Israel. Everybody in Israel knows everybody else in Israel. Ah, Ken, Misham, Ken, Right? It's like that's how it works. Right? Two seconds later, someone gets the neighbor on the phone, they find out that this woman was never married. She's an elderly widow. She was an elderly woman. She never got married. She never had any children. She never had any, she, know, she has no family members. She's all alone in this world. This poor, old, uh, this poor old woman who's now passed away. Anyway, the people start murmuring. They go run to the rabbi. And they knew that at the time, the law was in Israel in a case like this, that they take the body and they do an autopsy. And they harvest all the organs and they use the organs because you know what? There's nobody to say what she would have wanted to do. So they, so to speak, act on her behalf and make these decisions for her. The rabbi said, we can't allow this woman. We don't know what she would have wanted. The law is that they're now going to you know, do an autopsy. They're going to remove her body organs. Who knows if that's what she wanted? You know, he said, he gave a psak halacha. He said, take the body drag it into the Beit Knesset. They lift the body of this woman before anyone knows what's going on. They bring this dead woman into the Beit Knesset. That's not a normal thing. That's not a usual occurrence. You didn't, Baruch Hashem, you never saw that in the synagogue, right? But for her, in order to protect her, now the police realize what went on. They start telling, give us the body. We're going to take it. We got to do an autopsy. We got to, you know, we got to, you're going to donate her organs. They said, look, it doesn't say anywhere that she didn't sign up for this. You can't do this. You don't know what she would have wanted. There's no one to tell you what the last will and testament. Give her a proper burial. This story explodes. And within minutes in Bnei Brak, the place is packed, jammed with religious people, praying, saying to Elim, you know, forming rings around this woman that they want to protect her and give her a proper burial. There's no foul play over here. Everybody knows open and shut case. She was run over by a car. You know, we know exactly what happened. No reason. No foul play. You know, there's no reason. Anyway, the police come. By now there's over a thousand people. How did so many people get there so quick? The rabbi of the nearby yeshiva heard what was going on, shut down the Bet Midrash. The whole yeshiva, all the boys, all went out from the Bet Midrash to do the to kavod for the Met, Met Mitzvah, person who has no one in this world, everyone is there, they're surrounding this thing, saying Tehillim, and they're starting, the police realize when they, the battle is lost, they back off, they let them bury the woman according to Jewish, uh, Jewish law. Anyway, it makes a big stink in the city. And it turns out that the Rav Chaim Kanievsky's mother, Rav Yisrael Yaakov 
Kanievsky was his father, right? He, uh, what's it called? Uh, his mother knew this old woman from back in the, the city that they were born in, in, uh, in Kasava, okay? And she said, I know this woman. I found out who she is. She wasn't someone who was religious. She wasn't someone that knew. She didn't keep anything. She would eat on Yom Kippur. How did she have a merit that she was protected in that way? That she was surrounded by all these angels? That she had a proper burial? That they didn't, uh, they didn't defile? They didn't uh, uh, you know, do anything to her body that was not kavod for the met? How could such a thing have been? What did she do to merit such a tremendous miracle? Anyway, they asked around until finally there was an old timer in the community who also knew the woman. And suddenly the mystery was unraveled. Why? Because this woman, during the war, in the ghetto, took it upon herself that whenever somebody died in the ghetto under the Nazis, she would risk her life to take the body, bring it to the cemetery, and bury the body herself. Fifty years had passed since that time. But when it came time for her to pass away, she didn't pass away where she lived. She lived in Khulon. What was she doing in Benebrak? Buying tzitzit? Like, what is, she, what, is, what is she here for? A non-religious woman? What does she have in Benebrak? She has no family here. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu arranged that where does she pass away? Right outside of the Bet Knesset HaGadol. Right opposite a yeshiva. So in seconds, a, 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 a thousand person funeral could be mobilized to pay back the mitzvah that she had done so many decades before. My friends, when you do a mitzvah, it's not just something that you send out. It's a living, breathing thing. And the mitzvot that we do, even in our younger years, they live with us. They stay with us. The great tzaddikim of old, when something would happen to a person, that was how they would respond. A person would have a great miracle, and they would ask, B'may zachyan, we find it in the Gemara. Someone lived to an old age. A miracle happened. What would the rabbis ask? What did you do to merit this? And many times the person would say, when I was a young man, there was an elderly person. They were about to pass away from, hung from hunger. I ran upstairs. I made them a meal. I saved their life. I never told anyone about it till now, Rabbi. You see from the Gemara's answers on things like this, from these stories with the Gedolim, that a deed that you do so many years before is still alive and burning. And my friends, with a little bit of fanning, we could take those mitzvot that we've done at least once, twice, three times, and turn them into something that becomes a part of our life, that becomes a part of what we do, a part of who we are. And not only that, but when the time comes, and Bezrat Hashem, we build families and have children. It gets passed on to those children. It continues in this world forever and ever. Hashem should bless us that like the Avot planted Midot in us that are still existing, that still influence the world, we should be Zocheh ourselves also to become Avot in this magnificent way. My friends, I want to dedicate today our class to a dear friend of mine whose name was Binyamin Shmuel Edelstone. This young man, he, he was uh, with me in the Kolel, we're the same age, we studied together. And from one day to the next, he unfortunately got an uh, infection and he passed away, leaving five children behind him. The children, I saw the Levaya yesterday, the live hookup of the Levaya, and the children spoke so beautifully about their father. 
And one of the things that they talked about, both of the children mentioned, they said, greater than any speech that we could give. It's made such an impact on me. The greatest hesped, they said, is not anything that we will say. It's not any speech that we will make. It's the way we will live our lives to be able to embody the greatness of what Abba showed us, what our father showed us how to do and how to be and how to exist. He was a very special man, a man who never complained, one of the most genuine people I've ever met. Unbelievable, unbelievable midat ha'emet. Really something extraordinary. A person who you never saw him without a smile on his face. I can't tell you, I studied with this guy in Kolel for years. It's not like you met a guy one time and he was happy in an elevator. To see a person day in and day out, you know, you get to see if something's getting to him. He had health issues from the time he was a child of four years old. I never knew about it until now. I saw him every day. It didn't ever came up, my friends. Do you understand? The greatest hesped is the fact that his children are living the life that they saw their father lead. My friends, this ability that we have to be able to have a mitzvah and have that mitzvah exist in perpetuity, forever, even after we're gone, is something that is so special. And my friends, that's what our Chachamim tell us. That if a person has children, then those are called his children. But if a person does not have children, or if a person is a tzaddik, you know what's called their children? Then mitzvot are called their children. Why? Because just as a child can outlast you and can be the measure of your impact in this world, so too the mitzvot that you do could outlive you and become the measure of the impact that you have left on this world. What a beautiful thing to be able to try and think to ourselves. And you know, to hear the way they spoke about him, I thought to myself, wow. You know, you don't think all the, all the time, you don't think that you should be jealous of a person that passed away. But you hear a person, they speak that way about, therefore, I said, you know, I wish that one day, after 120, that your kids could say the same thing about you. That people could, could say, could speak about the, the way you lived your life in that way. Because that will have meant that the life that you lived and the choices that you made really mattered. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen. Rabbi